We did it, Bruce. Yes, we did. What did we do? It's been one year. This is our one year anniversary. So this is our bare, our bare naked ladies moment. It's been yeah. one year. Yeah, December sixteenth or so was when we put up our first episode, and that's when this episode's going up. It's very exciting. One year, baby. One year. Forty five episodes deep. We're on our fifth season. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. And I want to welcome all the new listeners. You have picked an excellent episode to get started with us. Mm-hmm. This is this is going to be a good one. All right. We'll be right back. Hello, hello, and welcome to Temple of the False Pod, where our decks are not optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. I'm Andy. I am Bruce. And, uh, it's the midway point through this season five. What do we see there on the horizon? It's Temple's Treasures. We gotta finish off this cycle, because baby, it's white enchantment time. Um, for those who don't know or can't remember, uh... Our fifth episode of every season has been Temple's Treasures, where we look at uh, underplayed uh, cards. Right. And not just underplayed cards, but underplayed cards that are ancient. Yes. That are cards that were that, that existed probably before many of you were even born. <laughs> we just wanted to highlight some cards that you may have seen in, you know, in bins somewhere or in your collection and you've forgotten about. That, you know, they just really deserve a second, third, fourth chance. We have some rules set. Uh, first of which being, first printing has to have been before 8th edition. Uh, yeah. Less than 1 or 2,000-ish. I mean, we we can push that. Yeah, we wobble but. back and forth. But it has to be in definitely under 2,000 decks on EDH Rec. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that EDH Rec numbers update regularly. So some of these could turn into uh, cards that are illegal, but um, more more likely uh, we'll see them in fewer and fewer decks because uh, these are these are not your all stars. Mm. Um, these are not the cards that show up in a ton of decks. These are not the cards that you automatically think about when you think about white enchantments, especially older ones. These are a little bit different. Um, we wanted to pick things that were uh, that were likely cards you hadn't heard of. Yeah. Or hadn't heard of in a long time. So um, These cards will be specifically niche, maybe. Some of them will be good. Some of them will be fine uh, in a broader sense. But uh, we will discuss how they fit in their niche uh, when we get to yeah. it. Every season so far, we've discussed a different color of enchantment. Yeah. And now we're on season five. So now we're on white. Right. And... This is going to wrap up enchantments because I don't really want to talk about colorless enchantments or artifact enchantments. So are they things? I, not really. Okay. Um, so we will be uh, we'll be jumping into a new a new card type for for season six. Uh, mm. Haven't decided what we're going to do yet, but no, it'll we be don't good. plan that far ahead. Hey, white enchantments! I'm so excited. Yes. Yeah, let's just jump right into it. Let's jump right in. Um, my first card, yeah. uh, and you'll notice, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll quiz you at the end, but there's something eerily uh, 
the, something that connects all of these. All right. Uh, other than white enchantment, uh, you out there, you out there can can play along too. Anyway, my first card is called Orification. <laughs> Luckily enough, I have pulled it up. It is an enchantment. It costs two and two white mana. Uh, it reads: Whenever a creature deals damage to you, put a gold counter on it. Uh, each creature with a gold counter on it is a wall in addition to its other creature types and has defender. Uh, when orification leaves the battlefield, remove all gold counters from all creatures. So this has some pretty clear use. Um, something hits you, it gets a gold counter, uh, and then it becomes a wall. So... It can block, but it no longer attacks. So, as much as like that could happen, uh, your opponent also has two other opponents. So, it's more of deterrence uh, from their from getting their strong stuff through. That is exactly what this card is. <laughs> and or learning, Bruce. Orification was was created in an era where everybody played one on one. Right. So this was so. How how much of a deterrent was it when the only person they could attack was you? Yeah, it's like, well, they're not going to hold back because they do get one swing. Right. So they're going to hit you, and then they've got a wall. Well, if they don't swing at you, it might as well be a wall anyway. Yeah. So there's no gain there. And when this leaves the battlefield, it takes all the gold counters with it. So your creature comes back to normal. When you've got multiplayer... Do you want a wall? No? Okay, well then t- attack somewhere else. Yeah. Yes, you'll get one shot in on me, but then you don't get to go, don't get to swing anymore? That's insane. That's why orification is so good. And honestly, in in this a lot of the older cards, they cost too much. Mm. This is 4 mana. It's fine. It's fine, but um if your meta is heavily creature dependent, you're just not going to get hit. You're also not going to get hit by the player who's just working their way around the table and trying right. to be fair in the amount of damage they take because, okay, well, then their creatures are just walled. Right. You're not going to get hit unless it means that you are leaving the game. Right. Or if they can somehow get rid of this uh, enchantment, which, I mean, run enchantment removal. Well, run enchantment removal, but... Honestly, think about it. If my opponent plays Orification, are you going to use your enchantment removal to get rid of it? <laughs> unless, unless it's causing one of your opponents to be to attack you instead of this person, why get rid of it? Right. It's it, this is you know I think about the kind of threatening enchantments that we see in a game of Commander. Why, why would I get rid of Orification? That's the one I'm going after. Well. Not unless I've got ore shards, or I'm wiping all of the enchantments off the board. But yeah. either way, I like this card. Um, I really I, like this one. What I like about it, too, is that it doesn't target creatures. Like, it, it's not like, oh, target creature that attacked gets a thing. So, like, for whatever reason, they throw your their Eldrazi at you. Right. Uh, it, I don't know. I, I don't know why I chose that. Most of those don't have hexproof. Um, <laughs> but, you know... It, but they still get, like, it's it's not complete removal. It, right. they, it can still block, which is very good for, like, a, you know, a 12-12. Right. Having a 12-12 wall, 
Not bad. Not bad at all. So it 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 also helps with the feel feel bads. So that's my first card. What's your first card? My first card. I'm gonna go with an aura. What? Which is a little different than the way I usually go with these ones, but bear with me. It's Enchant Land. Uh, it, the card is Animal Boneyard. Uh-huh. It is two and a white. Uh, it's an Enchant Land. It reads, Enchanted Land has tap, sack a creature. You gain life equal to the sacrificed creature's toughness. Now, this is not uber powerful. You're not playing this because... Um, because you you want to gain life. Uh, I mean, it's an option, but honestly, sacrificing one of your own creatures to gain life, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. That's, uh, that's kind of a dangerous game to be playing. What this is, is it's a white sacrifice outlet. Mm. And it, all it costs is you tap, you have to tap the land. Now, I get it. When you're tapping a land, it means you're not tapping it for mana. So you don't get the mana. But... It's there, and it doesn't cost any more mana than that. So as long as you've got that land, as long as you've got that up, it means when you attack or, or block in combat, if you're losing the creature anyway, boom, you just gain some life. Yeah. If somebody targets one of your creatures with removal, fine. Tap it, I'll gain the life, and we'll lose it anyway. Um, more importantly, this is sack a creature. So all those exile effects aren't going to hit your creature. Your creature will go to the graveyard. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing any any amount of reanimation or, or graveyard recursion, the animal boneyard will get the creature into the graveyard for you. So yeah, um, that's the reason I picked it. Uh, it's an Odyssey card, and it costs just over twenty five cents. Obviously, this is like I said, not a great card. Mm. But it's an extremely useful card in the right decks. Yeah. And, like, it honestly, uh, it seems like it would do real well in, like, a like a Boros-y kind of deck that runs a lot of uh, threaten effects. Where it's, like, you get it for a turn uh, and then just yes. throw away the creature at the end of the turn. Yeah. But very exciting. Yeah. I like it. What's card number two, Andy? Card number two. It's Ristic circle uh it's two white and white uh it says pay one uh any player may pay one if no one does the next time a source of your choice would deal damage to you this turn prevent that damage um it's an expensive fog button white um so like if somebody's coming at you with a lot of creatures uh pick the high, the, the the biggest ones and you can fog them. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh, it, it's nice that you can pick and choose uh, the sources. Um, it is unfortunate that they have to pay one. But, I mean, if you have a lot of mana up still, you can continue to, to until they run out. The key, the key with using Rhystic Circle mm-hmm. is <clears throat> to be using it when you know that you don't when you know that your opponent doesn't either can't or doesn't want to pay Mm. um generally speaking you're using this on their combat step to prevent the damage that you're taking during combat Mm. okay well it's their turn this is when they want their mana up and you're threatening 
to, okay, I'm going to take no damage. Now you can stop that from happening by paying one. So you pay the one. Okay, I'm going to pay another one. Are you going to pay another one? Because <laughs> that's where this is going to go. And you're both going to go back and forth until somebody finally blinks. You want, it to, you want them to be the one to blink. And you want them to blink immediately. Yeah. Make it clear, I've got six mana. I'm going to burn it all because I got nothing else to do with it. Yeah. Are you willing to go back and forth with me on your on your turn and use up all of your mana so you don't have any until your next go round? And they sort of have to work it like that because if you don't, then yeah, you're going to pay four. And then the next time you're going to pay three more and then you've got nothing left to do anything. Yeah. So, so like the way I see it is that, I mean... Like you were saying, it's going to be on their combat, unless it's for whatever reason, like a like a burn spell. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, it's just the damage to you. So you have to make sure that you have more mana than them. Um, otherwise, they will absolutely just pay it. Um, but the nice thing is, is that uh, generally... People want to do stuff in their their second main phase, so using up all their mana during mm-hmm. combat is also pretty good for the rest of the table. Right. Um, well, yeah, and that's just it. The key, the other part with Rhystic Circle, is if you're using it to prevent fifteen points of damage, then there's a good chance that they're going to look across and figure out who has more mana. Mm-hmm. And if they have more mana, they're probably going to be willing to spend it to do that kind of damage. Yeah. But what if it's a 4-4? Four, four? If I spend 1, are you going to spend 1 to make sure <laughs> that 4 damage comes through? And if I'm showing 4 mana, are you willing to spend 4 mana to make sure that your creature actually does the 4 damage? This is where the deterrent effect starts right. to come in. And they start looking at this like, I don't think so. You know? It's or, interesting, or too. Or 3-3. Three, three, yeah. You know? If you make it clear that you're willing to, you know, to bury yourself to make this happen, at some point they they're gonna have to they're gonna have to back off. Uh, I mean, this does require a lot of mana. But. Yeah, and I think too it's interesting because like uh, like generally you're gonna want to call their bluff on it of like as the attacker into this yeah. you're gonna want to call it and be like all right I'll just pick, I'll keep paying like whatever. Uh, but this also makes things like, uh, like your brash taunter, your brash taunter activation, a little bit more because you're going to be, you know, activating it, hitting a creature, and then dealing it to a player's face. Right. You're going to have to pay more uh, <clears throat> to to get that damage through if it's going towards the player with the Ristic Circle. So, uh, Ristic Circle, thirty-five decks. Wow. Yeah. Orification had 946. Yeah. I can't remember how many Animal Boneyard had, but... Also 35. I mean, it wasn't on my list. All right. Well, my next one? Yeah. Speeding right through this. This is great. Oh, jeez. This is going to be our best one yet. Best card? Uh, best best Temple's Treasures, because it's white enchantments, of course. Well, yeah. It couldn't... Um, it was really interesting trying to find enchantments because uh, so many of the ones from back then, well, so many white enchantments in general, uh, 
see a lot of play, especially the good ones, obviously. Right. Um, So this was definitely the smallest pool to choose from. And um, a lot of the, a lot of the enchantments that were left were things like is circle of protection enchantment. Yeah. Things like that of just like, like very too specific. Yeah. uh, Very 1994 magic. All right, so my second, mm-hmm. uh, it's Gossamer Chains. Now, Gossamer Chains costs uh, two white mana. Uh, it's an enchantment, and it reads, Return Gossamer Chains to its owner's hand. Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt by target unblocked creature this turn. A couple things to note. With Gossamer Chains, um, you can use it to prevent damage to anybody. So if someone's swinging at someone else, and maybe their creature has lifelink, you just don't want them gaining the life. Well, you can return Gossamer Chains to your hand and prevent all the combat damage that would be dealt uh, by that unblocked creature. Um, Practically speaking, it's almost always only going to happen when you're being attacked. Uh, I've used Gossamer Chains quite a bit. I even had a situation where I used it I used it on my own creature because the combat damage it, it had worked out so that I was I was forced to redirect my attack somewhere else. So Gossamer Chains let me pre- prevent any of the damage from happening that way. Um, the obvious downside to Gossamer Chains is you're paying two mana every time you use it. And it's coming back to your hand. So if anybody is running anything that uh, is, you know, forcing discard, um, Gossamer Chains is at risk. But for the most part, it's so nice because, again, this is the deterrent. Mm-hmm. You put it out there, and it only costs two. So even if you have to pull it back to your hand, you can play it again. But opponents look at this, and they realize, okay, my biggest unblocked creature is going to do no damage. And this isn't Maze of If, where your creature then becomes untapped. <laughs> this is, no, you threw away your attack phase because you attacked into me. When I had Gossamer Chains out, and you knew I had it. So it, it then becomes, okay, now I have to attack you with my biggest creature and my next biggest creature, and only the second one is ever going to actually do the damage. Mm. So, And that's if they're both unblocked. Right. So the best way for the table to deal with this is for one person to attack, knowing full well that their attack will be nothing. But they're just attacking to get that chains back into your hand. Yeah. So the next person can attack. You know, and it's um, another thing to consider is that it's not putting the card back in their hand. It, you're putting the chains back in your hand. So you're not giving them another enter the battlefield trigger. They're just sitting there with a tapped creature. I'm like, okay, well, and you didn't you didn't get any combat damage. As I said, I've used this to great effect. Um, I used this a lot when we were playing 60-card decks. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, when you've got two of them out, it annoys the hell out of people <laughs> because there's just... It just gets very difficult to try and work your way around. Um, mm. I mean, a lot of people weren't considering the idea that if you attacked and I brought them both back, then I had to pay four. And that number starts getting a little yeah. hefty. But you really need to like team up against this person to just like make it completely stop. Right. But, I mean, this is, I mean, to me, Gossamer Chains is as effective as propaganda or something else where your opponent has to pay two. Um, 
it it does this it just just does a lot of discouraging um i mean obviously i understand propaganda you're paying two for each creature so it's <laughs> definitely better but gossamer change is definitely is an option um it's a little bit different and it's a little different mm. and uh offhand i can't think of any but uh well actually in all of your enchantment decks every time you play an enchantment you're drawing you're likely drawing a card well gossamer chain says you're going to have an enchantment to play every single turn because at the end of the last opponent's turn mm. you just return it to your hand and you know you can prevent damage from one creature and away you go so <laughs> it's uh it's it's a an easy way an, an easy and cheap enchantment that you can cast over and over again. Mm. Seems uh seems sweet. Yeah. Um, before we move on, yep, going to uh, return this chat to my hand so that I can play. Stretching it. Really I forgot the words. Uh, the ad break. Uh, let's just go to ad break. Uh, Sounds good. Let's go to the ad break phase. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, this episode of Temple of False Blood is brought to you by Seal Away, uh, a white enchantment that came out 15 years too late to be on this episode. Uh, for one and a white, it had flash speed. When Seal Away enters the battlefield, exile target tapped creature and opponent controls until Seal Away leaves the battlefield. Come seal Away. Seal Away. Come seal away. Too late. Come Seal Away. Come Seal Away. Come seal away. Uh, and now back to you. All right. Um, Andy? On, on to number three. Yes. Card Nine. number three. My number three is uh, two white white. Uh, it's an enchantment called Celestial Convergence. Now, I do not condone playing this card. I thought it was really interesting, and I really wanted to bring it up because I've never heard of it. Uh, it says Celestial Convergence comes into play with seven omen counters on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, remove an omen counter from Celestial Convergence. If there are no omen counters on Celestial Convergence, the player with the highest life total wins the game. If two or more players are tied for highest life total, the game is a draw. Bum, bum, bum. It's definitely a clock. Um, you really need to make sure that you have the highest life total. This with oh my god does it does it work with vampire hexmage? Oh, you better believe it does. <laughs> is that like a common known thing? It is not a common known thing because well, celestial convergence is not a common known thing. <laughs> celestial convergence is four hundred and nine decks, which is very small. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, va uh, vampire hexmage says sacrifice vampire hexmage, remove all counters from target permanent. So, yeah. Uh, you know, get your life total up there. Uh, remove the uh, counters. Um, I assume it's a part of the like beginning of your upkeep part. Yeah. Uh, so you got to make it back to your turn. Um, I think it would be interesting in like a. I don't know. I can't see playing this and everyone having a good time. It just kind of. Eh. Like, it definitely doesn't come out of nowhere, which is nice. You immediately have seven turns to not die. Like, 
people will be coming after you. Right. Well, and I think that's where the hex mage comes in. Yeah. Um, if you've got, if you're waiting to work your way through seven upkeeps mm. so that you can end the game with the highest life total, you will not have the highest life total. Yeah. Because either one, this card's getting dis- this card's getting removed, or two, if I can't get rid of the enchantment, then I can get rid of you. Or everyone's racing to the top. Probably unlikely because you're probably the only one who knows I'm going to play a lot of lifelink. Right. Uh, I don't recommend it, um, but it's a cool little card that I wanted to bring up because it's wild. It, it is a card I would like to try at one mm. point, but I do think that, practically speaking, if you're going to make it work, you're making it work with Hex Major with other ways to remove a lot of counters. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other option, I suppose, is proliferate and you'd be adding counters. <laughs> uh, but if you're doing that, then what are you doing? And do you really think you're going to live that long? And uh, on and on. Yeah. It, it's it's a, it's a bizarre set. So I, I do think the Hex Mage is the way to go. But. Um. I'd love to hear from everybody else. Yeah. Are there it, better it, ways it to feels, make this work? It feels like one of those cards similar to uh, Revel and Riches where like, you know, like I, I got one win with Revel and Riches and I'm like, all right, I'm done with that. Um, you get more value out of Pitiless Plunderer and you don't have that weird uh, alt-wing con where, I mean, the people I played, the, the when I won that game, people were like, oh, yep, okay, game's over, I guess. Uh, which like fine has its place i took it out of that deck because yeah. it was the achievement yeah i did it and now i don't want to do it again because right. i just feel like so like i feel like that's this card yeah um do it have fun with it i'm rooting for you uh yeah i don't think yeah. i'm gonna play it yeah i, I like to hang <laughs> on, i like to hang on to my decks too long to yeah. make it worth yeah, worth yeah. that effort so um yeah all right what's your what's your next one buddy my next one yeah my next one is noble steeds noble steeds that sounds like a creature uh it does uh for two and a white it's an enchantment uh and it reads spend one and a white target creature gains first strike until Whoa. the end of the turn now there's a reason this card is cheaply priced and it's not often played it's because it costs five to give that first creature first strike Mm. that's a hefty cost um you're also talking about white where a lot of the decks are playing cheap creatures where spending two mana to give one creature first strike just doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. um because you know if you're swinging in with five tokens you want to give them all first strike, and you're not paying 10 mana to give a bunch of 2 twos first strike. Mm. Um, having said that, this deck is awesome when you're talking about Voltron. This deck is great, even when you are talking about token decks. Because at that point, you're simply sending them into combat with the ability to give any one of them first strike, which means... Your opponents never, however they choose to block, it's going to be wrong. 
because you're just going to give the right creature first strike, yeah, and they're going to take out that that opponent's creature before it can kill them. Uh, the one one death touch creature that sits there forever that you can't get around. Boom! Now you can because you're just going to do first strike damage, kill it before it can do its death touch and kill your creature. So you get all kinds of options that way. Um, more importantly, and this seems to be the theme running through all of our cards, is this is a deterrent. <laughs> this comes out there, and if you have two mana up, it means whichever creature I choose to block is going to have first strike and could, and could very likely kill off any creature you're swinging my way. Yeah. Are you sure you want to do this? So they now have another layer of math to get through to figure out if they can still swing at you. And there's going to be a bunch of times when they can't, and suddenly Noble Steeds pays for itself without you even having to pay any mana. And that's kind of the key. You want it to be the threat. You don't want to have to use it. Right. Um, and it's definitely like one of those things that, I mean, I feel like even just seeing it, um, a lot of opponents will just look the other mm -hmm. way. Like... I feel like, personally, I know that I would see it and be like, oh yeah, I'm going to go elsewhere for now. Right. Um, um, another thing to consider? Yeah. If you're running an Audric deck, mm -hmm. why aren't you running this guy? Oh, yeah. Because you spend two mana, give one creature first strike, and now they've all got first strike. Mm. Yeah, they don't get it permanently yeah. forever, but at least you're only paying two and you're giving all of the creatures first strike as opposed to... Yeah, beware of timing, obviously, with yeah. that. Um, Audric triggers at the beginning of combat. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a thing to keep in mind. Um, and it's, it's, it's a nice little card that will... Uh, I mean, I feel like if anybody who's been following for five seasons will realize that we have a lot there are a lot of enchantments out there that are just straight deterrent yeah. uh, and it, sometimes that's just enough right um, and when they do attack you you can use it and feel good about it mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah candy yeah I'm looking for your last one my last one of the year my last one. I should have brought it up while you were talking, but I didn't. Because that is professionalism at its best. Oh, um, before we move on, I yeah. should mention Noble Steeds. Now, on EDH rec, it is in 19 decks. No, I did not say 190. I did not say 1900. I said 19. It, it is in 0% of all the decks on EDH rec. The number is so small. Hmm. I love this. This is the kind of thing I love. So, all right. My last card is in 355 decks. It's called Spiritual Asylum. It's two white white. Creatures and lands you control can't be the targets of spell or spells or abilities. So it has Shroud. Yeah, all your creatures, all your lands have Shroud. When a creature you control attacks, sacrifice Spiritual Asylum. Um... I know exactly why this card doesn't see play. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's fine. Uh, your this, stuff can't be targeted. This, right. This card is 
is the card you put in a deck when you're building your combo. Yeah. And you need time. It's like, just leave me and my creatures the hell alone. And so it allows you to get the creatures out that you need to create whatever combo it is or to build up so that you can do your alpha strike so that it really doesn't matter if you lose the asylum because they're dead. Yeah. Um, so it really does lead to that spot. Um, there are other ways. Uh, I've seen some decks that do it so that it, so that you phase this card out. Hmm. Interesting. I forget, I forget how it was set up because somehow they had it set up so that it was always phased out at the start. Was it always phased? No, it was always phased out. I don't remember. Probably gave it doesn't phasing. Make any, it doesn't make any sense. Probably gave a phasing so every phasing. other turn. Either way, it worked out so that they could attack. Mm-hmm. And when it wasn't their turn, the Asylum was there stopping everything. So maybe they just had a way to bounce it and replay it. I don't remember. But mm. um, essentially, that was that yeah. was the trick. Just to get it off the battlefield when you wanted to attack and then back on at all other times. Yeah. So. To me, it feels like that, that scene in uh, Return of the King. Is that what it is? The battle at Helm's Deep. Where just like everybody's just like standing there waiting and just like ready to attack and then you know you attack and the aura goes away and right uh battle ensues but i mean obviously this doesn't stop people from attacking you this doesn't stop people from targeting you it just they can't target your creatures they can't target your lands they can they can target literally everything else you have enchantments artifacts planeswalkers i guess that's it yeah um for permanence um so it's 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 got its very niche yeah uh use case uh but but overall it 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 does some cool things especially if you are expecting the things that you're gonna put down after this right will be targeted um now the fact that it's shroud is unfortunate um but uh i don't know just uh you're putting if you're putting this in your deck you know you're putting it in so don't don't have targeted stuff have like your creatures do this or uh right yeah no you just you can make you make it work yeah i mean you just be aware of the aware of the limitation and sort of go from there so yeah that's that's my last card for the night all right my last card for the night uh it is in a whopping 849 decks whoa so it's up there it's a little higher than i'd like to be but it still works uh this card is sarah's blessing very good so sarah's blessing is one in a white the enchantment creatures you control have vigilance period you don't have to pay mana to give your creature vigilance uh it doesn't cost three. It only costs two. Um, in the greater scheme of things, uh, people people undervalue vigilance. They just do. But as long as your creatures have vigilance, it means you can attack every turn and they're still there to block. You just have to make sure that they're not dying in combat. And I mean... 
I mean, I think so vigilance take is honestly, the safe swing. Yeah, vigilance is honestly one of the more underappreciated, underrated, uh, evergreen abilities. Because right. I mean, like you said, it's there to attack. It's there to defend. But also, like if you have things that tap for activation, you can do a second main phase, like you probably want to. Right. Um, it's yeah. I mean, vigilance is is one of my favorite keywords yeah and i don't i just don't think you can go wrong with this um as long as you're running enough creatures in your deck to make it worthwhile yeah you are yeah you're playing white you're probably you got <laughs> then it. uh then yeah you're you are good to go um i like that yeah and i like that it's two mana it's just one and a white right um it's an enchantment so it's harder to deal with right and this is good even what you know whether you've got uh large flying creatures mm -hmm. uh, whether you're trying a Voltron strategy whether you're going wide with a ton of small creature tokens however you're doing it if you're using creatures this or if you're using creatures for combat this is awesome it's just wonderful um, I also uh, another way you can use it which is a little more niche if your creatures have tap effects well you're going to have to tap them because the vigilance is not going to save you there <laughs> but it does mean that they can still attack yeah that's always been the downside for for any creature that taps to do whatever um they really can't attack because then you're losing that effect losing that ability or that effect this allows you to do a to do both so if you were you know if you're waiting till the end of your opponent's turn to tap your creature to deal a point of damage or to do whatever mm -hmm. well now you don't have to wait yeah you can swing and then you wait till the end and make your move so so you get the combat damage on top of it so your creatures just get that much better yeah um, and i think even even to the point where i think uh like vigilance, like I said, is one of the more underappreciated, undervalued, underrated uh, evergreen keywords. I think combat is generally one of the more undervalued, underappreciated, underrated parts of your turn. And to be able to do that and more is just so good. So like vigilance man it's so good i think it's just been around for so long that people just kind of like don't appreciate like they don't appreciate it until it's gone um yeah so but yeah i love that card i'm gonna go buy yeah. some oh yeah sarah's blessing is a great card um it like i said like i said I, as long as you've got white in the deck and you're using creatures yeah i, I don't i just don't see the downside well <laughs> Maybe if you're running an all angels deck where every where most of your creatures already have vigilance, then this is right. kind of pointless. But otherwise, I think you're in good shape. It uh, it reminds me of one of my favorite uh, enchantments. Yeah, white enchantments, but it's a newer one from Dominaria. Uh, <laughs> to kind of go along with uh, our our sponsor today. Yeah. Um, on Sarah's wings. Ah uh, uh, yes. Which is also a, a Sarah card. Yes. Uh, three and a white. Legendary enchantment, which is unfortunate, but makes sense uh, considering the context. Uh, it right. is historic. Uh, 
Legendary enchantment, aura, enchant creature. Enchanted creature is legendary. Gets plus one, plus one. Has flying, vigilance, and lifelink. Those are my favorite words. Uh, <laughs> it's so good. Um, I love that card, and I wish I could have used it here. But maybe, uh, maybe years down the road, we'll finally up our threshold to, I don't know, something. Or do set specific. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll this see. is our first year done. Yeah, we did a year. We did a year. Andy, I'm looking at the clock. Yeah, we're... I want to squeeze one more. Oh, please do. I want to squeeze one more. We've got so much um, time on our hands. So this is an this is an honorable mention. Um, Your Honor, it didn't it didn't quite crack the top, quite crack the list of you know, okay. quality. But I, I really like this card, and I've used it before. It's called Coalition Flag. Ooh, yeah. Now it costs one white mana, and it's an aura. You enchant a creature you control. Now it says you control. You can't do this to somebody else's creature. Now the enchanted creature is a flag bearer. Ah, yes. So while an opponent is choosing targets as part of casting a spell they control or activating an ability they control, that player must choose at least one flag bearer on the field if able. So what this means... Well, it means they're not targeting your good stuff. Nah. So if they're looking to uh, to terminate one of your creatures, they're terminating the flag the the the, the flag bearer. Yeah. If they're looking to uh, if they're looking to give one of their creatures plus three plus three as they go into combat, unless it specifically says that you can only target that they can only target their own creatures with this, you're targeting the flag bearer. Mm. It's always so. If the flag bearer can be targeted, it is. So now there are times when the flag bearer can't be targeted. Like I said, when they say it's, it has to be a creature or a creature you own or control or whatever, mm. there are restrictions. This doesn't work every single time, but wow, it works way more often than you think. It's interesting too because if you are playing it in like an enchantress deck, and people are playing enchantment removal, yeah, and they want to remove. And it, like, say, what is it? Uh, like, disenchant, for instance. Yeah. Uh, and they just want to get rid of one of your random enchantments. Yeah. They have to target this if you put it on an enchantment creature. Yes. Well, they have to target the enchantment, the, the enchantment the, creature. Yeah, that's what I mean. Um, right. The other part is... Um, what's the name of the card? Destroy target creature or enchantment. I can't remember. It's, it's a, a black one. It's a black white. Oh. Um, oh. Either way, in Commander, we tend to use cards that are much more open-ended. So if you're using a t piece of targeted removal, it likely says enchantment or artifact, or you know, it opens it up because you want to be able to remove as many you want as many options as you can from each of your cards. Well, this is where the being a flag bearer really hurts because if it says destroy target enchantment or creature well the flag bearer is an option there so you have to choose it so your flag bearer can be protecting your enchantments mortify thank you <laughs> so it's just there's there's all kinds of ways and then there's all kinds of ways to use this um uh, and it's by the way it's opponent spells so you are not forced to target it to target it so you don't have to buff it if you've got you know, if you've got a way to make one of your creatures bigger in combat, you can just do that. Um, 
It's this is just for your opponents. It's very cool. So, it, is it is it also ability like abilities? I yeah. don't have the card up anymore. So yeah, it's, it's not just spells too, which is nice. Yeah. So if your opponent has a creature where you know target target creature gets a plus one plus one counter, well, the flag bearer is getting the counter. Mm. No other creature can. Um, that's how this card works. Now the interesting thing too is like say. Uh, it also works with planeswalkers, right? Um, but say they want to target somebody else's creature, yeah. they have to target your flag bearer, right? Uh, which is an interesting play for a multiplayer game. Yeah. Um, but now, um, coalition flag exists. There are two creatures that are also flag bearers. Mm. They're both white. One of them's a one-one, and I think the other one's a one-four. Interesting. But essentially, they do the exact same thing, but you have to use that creature. With a coalition flag, you get to pick whatever creature you want, <laughs> um, whichever creature you control that you want. So uh, that's sort of, it offers a little more flexibility. Um, I guess the only thing that I really want to remind people of, flag bearer is a creature type. So if you're running mimics, mimics or yeah. anything that has all creature types, they're considered flag bearers. So if your opponent happens to be running a shapeshifter or something, changeling, that, yeah. a changeling, then they can target the changeling instead of just targeting your flag bearer. So very cool, very spicy. yeah. It's it's definitely something that's pretty funky. Um, obviously, doesn't work for all decks, but it's funky. It's yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, yeah, wow, very cool. Yeah, um, I don't know. Uh, I, I proposed a challenge to you at the beginning of this episode. Yeah. Uh, could you tell what what connected all of my enchantments? No. Oh. Um, well, if any of you out there uh, see what happened, uh, it was completely incidental. I think I, maybe the fourth one I like played into a little. Yeah. But I noticed after a couple, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Um, so if, uh, if you out there, uh, notice what it was, uh, tweeted us at falsepodmtg on Twitter. Um, but wow, it's been a year. It's been a great year. We started this podcast over zoom. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we would have loved to not have, but, uh, now we're doing it in person and it's great. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to see what the next year brings us. Uh, I hope to be doing this for years, plural. Uh, I mean, yeah, very, very excited. Uh, and I just want to, want to thank everybody getting us to a thousand listens in our first year. Very, very big, uh, for me. I don't know. Yeah. I encourage everyone to reach out and let everybody else know, uh, all about my favorite podcast. I think, I think everybody else will love it as much as I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, um. <laughs> Comedy Bang Bang, my favorite podcast. Now, uh, please feel free to share uh, on our behalf. Yep. Uh, share with us your favorite white enchantment. Share with us uh, anything you want. Uh, we're on Twitter. We got an email address. Crazy. Uh, crazy how the internet works these days. <laughs> uh, you want to reach out to us on Twitter? We're falsepotmtg. Uh, our email is falsepotmtg at gmail.com. I say all this stuff after we close out 
But uh, I just want to thank each and every one of you for listening. Uh, go go play some magic. I know we're about to yes. uh, sign off to play some. Chomp them so uh, have a great night. Uh, we're the Temple of False. We're the Temple of False Bud, where our decks are not optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. I'm Andy. I'm Bruce. Uh, have a great night. Thank you so much for listening, and may your fifth land be the temple. Bye. Wait, wait, before you go, I just wanted to say thank you for listening. You can reach out to us via email at falsepodmtg at gmail.com or on Twitter at falsepodmtg. Bruce is at manaburned and I'm at andyweekend, though you'll definitely notice I use the podcast Twitter far more often. Now that we've got you here, make sure you subscribe, like, rate us on uh, whatever podcast platform you use. It helps us out. It gets us more reach. Subscribe to us on our YouTube channel, Uh, like a video there, leave some comments for more casual enjoyment. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with some more timeless discussions about all things casual. So come hang out, and may your fifth land be the temple. Bye-bye. Should I do my best, Bruce? Bye!